It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to our new PR Week podcast episode with Arvind Hickman. Hello and welcome to The PR Show. I'm your host, Arvind Hickman, and today we're going to take another look at whether the pitching process is broken. But this time, we're going to do it through the eyes of new business consultants and procurement. In a recent episode, we asked agency bosses and marketers what they thought about pitching, and all agreed that the current process is not fit for purpose. Their main concerns were the role of procurement commoditizing PR and creative services, bloated pitch lists, Processes that ran for far too long, confusing client briefs, and agencies that were ill-prepared. Today, I'm going to put some of these concerns to the best in the business when it comes to advising on pitching. On our esteemed panel is AAR's managing partner, Tony Spong, Creative Briefs Managing Director, Charlie Carpenter, and Procurement Consulting Guru, Tina Fagent. Welcome to you all, and thank you very much for braving the London heatwave. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yep. No worries. To begin with, I just want to get everybody's views about pitching and whether they believe the process is broken. Tina, I want to start with you because procurement often gets blamed for a lot of the problems with pitching. Is is the process broken? Well, for a start, we don't. Pitching is just a term used for buy marketing services, so it's a tender process. Mm-hmm. And any you know any company that is procuring goods and services will have a tender stroke pitching process. So um, it's a good process when it works. Obviously, we would get on to discuss uh, where it perhaps hasn't worked in terms of buying services. But I think when it works, it works well to make sure there's a level playing field in procuring the right suppliers for the brief. Out of all the processes that you've advised on, all the tender processes that you've advised on, how many of them do you think work well versus how many of them don't work so well? 
all the ones I work on work really well. <laughs> Thank you, Harvind. But I, you know, I can see. You know, I have worked agency side as well, and you know, there are some practices that you know that we will get to that that are open for discussion that it can be improved. But for me, it's you know, if you're a company procuring goods and services, you have responsibility to your shareholders, um, and the tender process, pitching process, in whatever form. And we will get on to you know what form that is, is a, is a fair way of making sure that you get the right suppliers okay. to meet the brief. Okay, Charlie, what about your views? Is it sour grapes from agency leaders that pitches don't work so well, or are there some legitimate concerns that this, the process isn't quite fit for purpose? Yeah, I think it's it's an area that is frustrating for a lot of people because I think it's an area that there's a huge amount of talk around and not a lot of action around changing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of people complaining about it. Um, I personally feel as though I, I you know, I agree with Tina that I, I don't think um, the the notion of some form of a competitive process is is a wrong thing, and I think that's necessary for businesses to behave in a responsible way. Uh, and I think actually, you know, historically where the pitch process has come from. Um, in, you know, in terms of how the industry has come to know the pitch process, it, it has worked for a long time and been very successful. Uh, but I actually think that in a modern world and in the, the times that we find ourselves now where things are changing rapidly in the industry, I actually really fundamentally believe that the, the pitch process as it stands and as the industry has come to know it is broken. Okay. Tony, it sounds like you're going to be the referee here. Is it broken or not broken? Uh, I, well, I think it constantly evolves. So I, I, it's never been the same. Even in the 12 years I've been at AAR, it's changed and evolved. We've added new things in the process. We listen to what agencies like and don't like and likewise what works and doesn't work for clients. So mm-hmm. it's not a static thing. And I think reading and hearing the, the previous podcast, I think there, there's some issues that we'll come on to about how agencies can perhaps protect themselves a little better. But to Tina's point, there, there has to be a competitive process. There's uh, all the government bodies have to put things out to tender to protect the government and the taxpayers' money. So it comes right to the top and right to the bottom that having some sort of competitive process uh, makes sense to protect a, an awful lot of people from you know things like backhanders and underhand dealing. I mean, this is what happened in the 60s and why the whole OG process got set up in the first place. So it's there for a reason. How we use it and how we ensure it's done best, I think we'll come on to. Uh, in the coming minutes. Sure. Well, we're going to move on to what agencies or some of the major concerns from agencies are in a moment. But uh, I just want to ask each of you where you believe the major friction points are in the process. Charlie, I want to start with you. You've previously said that you believe the biggest problem is that the process currently makes very little effort to emulate a w- real-life working relationship between the two parties. Can you sort of elaborate on that point? Mm. So, yeah, I, and there are a couple of other points that I think I'll add to that as sure. well. But, but, yeah, I think ultimately our... Our sense is, and, and there are varying degrees of this, of course, but our sense is that generally the pitch process uh, is is often shrouded in in sort of theatre and choreography, and it's you know big reveal moments. It's very well cast by agencies. It's based around you know big scale presentations. It's not brilliantly set up to emulate you know what would a real life working relationship be like and how how would both parties get in a room together and and you know work through some of the challenges and issues as they would if they were properly truly working together as partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that the there are a couple of other bits that perhaps we'll we'll get a chance to come on to, but 
yeah, I think ultimately as well, there is a, a sense of, you know, business moves so much faster than it ever has for, for both brands and businesses and, you know, commercial organizations and agencies. And actually the pitch process, you know, the days of, you know, running three or four month pitch processes for big brands, are, you know, just are, are gone and, and make no sense anymore. Um, I also actually just think we, we all operate now in a world where there is a, a need for everybody to behave in a with a sort of operate within a responsible business practice mm-hmm. kind of manner um and i think actually there's a lot of pressure on you know things like mental health at the moment actually often some of the worst uh, you know the, the pitch process operates a bit like a, a sort of pressure cooker environment which can put real pressure on agency staff and mental health uh, you know there's some fascinating if, um uh, research from organisations like Creative Equals that purport to demonstrate that actually the pitch process as it currently stands does a lot to perpetuate a lack of diversity in the in the industry as a whole on mm. the basis that more men get asked to pitch, uh, you know. And but there is this legacy situation of agencies promoting people for winning pitches, and therefore they're just more white males get promoted to the top of agencies. Um, so there, there are a lot of, of areas that we think, you know, in this day and age just don't make sense anymore in, in terms of the, the traditional pitch as it has been come to know. Okay, Tony, what, what, are, what are some of the areas that you think the process is currently not working or, or friction points in the process? I mean, we, we spend an awful lot of time at the beginning sitting down with the client to work out exactly what they've got, what time they've got available, what budget's available to make sure that the the process is even handed on both sides. So the last thing we want is agencies doing more work in trying to win the business than there is money at the end of it. So mm. the, the whole point of it is to make sure that that's equal. The amount of effort to win is proportionate to the prize at the end of the day. Uh, one of the biggest things we've seen more recently is agencies are just getting better at saying no. Um, I think one of the things we've discovered, well, we've all probably, all three of us have discovered over time, is that it, clients don't do this that often. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, they, they go four or five years before they pitch again. So they're not practiced at this. So they assume that unless the agency says something, this is the way they should pitch the business. Mm. So agencies have to take on board, I think, a little bit more responsibility to educate and help educate the client. It's happened to me several times. You just say to the client, well, this doesn't work this way because, and they go, oh, right, thank you very much for telling me. I am now a better procurement person after this review than I was after the last one. So if we don't help them, they're not going to get any better either. So standing there moaning about it after the event is one thing, but helping them through it and deciding if they're not listening, then you should pull out. Because mm. then that way they'll learn. There are plenty of clients who will ring us up and say, can I have an agency tomorrow? And we go, no. And they go, right, okay. And then they'll come back a week later and say, right, how should we do this properly? Because everyone said no. So that works. So the pain points are, uh, are universal, which is time and resource primarily. Sure. Uh, and they don't go away in anything that we do. So it's ma- how we manage that, I think, is, is part of the issue. Do, do you think the balance at the moment in terms of effort versus value is, is too skewed one way or the other? It, it's a biased market. There's no doubt about it. There are more agencies than there are briefs. Mm-hmm. Right, and that that creates a certain behaviour in the anthill. So the people will will find a way to win, and it's damn competitive out there. And people will poke people in the eye, keep people in the shins, and um, and, and all that sort of stuff to win. So that that's that's a luxury clients have at the moment, mm. uh, and some of them will exploit that. So no agencies need, to, I guess, shoulder some of the burden in terms of pushback. I think so. Can I can I just build on that? Actually, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, 
and actually some of the things we've been talking about with with brands more <coughs> recently is is actually saying we feel like there's a, we've reached this really interesting point in the industry where there's actually more of a commercial imperative for brands to find a, a more responsible, ethical, and, and reasonable approach to the pitch as as much mm. as there is now for agencies. Mm. Agencies have always wanted change. I think it's, mm. it's only now that brands are realizing there's commercial imperative. And I think a lot of that comes from agencies saying no. And and you know we, we've seen a lot of situations where actually if a brand sets out an intention to run a really long, laborious pitch process and expect, is expecting a lot from agencies through that process, what you find is actually often the best agencies and the most in-demand agencies who are the busiest because they've you know they've got leaner yeah, resource than ever yeah. are the ones that turn it down. Mm. So actually, if you position it to a client to say, well, the reality is, if you if you plow on, yes, people will say yes, yeah. but it won't always be the best agencies, and it might be the more mediocre agencies in less demand. Uh, who will say yes? And so, actually, for for brands, suddenly you position it like that, they start to think, "Crikey, you know, we yep. we do need to find a better way to do this." Because if the best agencies are too busy and can't resource it, then we want the best agencies involved in our business. Yeah. Okay, we'll explore resourcing in a little bit. I just want to get your views first, Tina, on which parts of the process you think don't currently work that well. I think uh, taking it on the chin uh, and for procurement, I do. I think you know we have a tender, a pitch process, an RFP process. And if you're working for an organisation, you know, there is one process that has been agreed, you know, at the CPO, Chief Procurement Officer level, mm. to then tailor it for a specific category, e.g. marketing, mm. is really hard. You know, a number of procurement people that I mentor and work with, they, you know, they fight tooth and nail to say, look, this is a brief for digital PR, it's for £150,000. We're not buying wind turbines, we're not buying, you know, electricity. You know, electricity. So I do think the procurement tender process should be more flexible to fit the, to fit the spec mm. so I do think that is a lot of the friction when they get you know a 50 page RFP document and it is for buying IT services and it's for £150,000 PR brief um, and I think the good procurement people do do that and do tailor it and I'm really hoping you know stuff like AI, AI, AI will come in and in a way get that logic stuff out of the way, you know, mm. things like company accounts and number of staff, etc. in a way, put that all into one central database. So it's all done. It's all there automatically. In a way, like magic and logic, get the logic done, but you can concentrate on the magic. So I do think the friction is, you know, procurement, one size doesn't fit all. And good procurement people will try and tailor it, but it's very difficult to go to your boss well, and say, I need to tailor this. Yeah. I mean, is that coming from sort of the C-suite level, that the whole rigidity around procurement processes? Yes, yeah, because you have got, you know, a process if you're a publicly listed company mm. or, you know, a government, you know, you have got a process and it's a, you know, I'm talking to a client on Monday and their their pitch process, tender process, six months. And I was saying, look, take this out, do this, do that. But it's, it's very hard for a lot of them to tailor it. But a lot of successful ones do. The ones with good marketing spend do do that. So I do think that is a friction point that procurement could be more try and stick up a bit more for marketing related briefs to be flexible yeah I, I i mean but i'd also like to defend procurement a little bit because there are clients who don't have necessary access to procurement or choose not to have access and are equally bad at running mm. uh, the process and and they'll make it up as they go along so i i think there are there are well-informed people on procurement and in marketing <laughs> 
buying, and there are some less informed people in procurement. So I don't think it's necessarily, it's more about the individual as much as it is all that group than it is about the title. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we should just be a bit careful that we're not loading it all on procurement. Obviously, they draw attention to themselves because that's their job, uh, which is fine. But not, not every client we work with, and I'm sure Charlie's the same, have, we deal directly with procurement. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. I think actually, you know, often we work with very brilliant yes, procurement absolutely. people who add a huge amount of value yes. to the process. I think the 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 danger is is poor procurement practices, as Tina said, mm. and and also I think where um, sometimes procurement take sole control of the process without mm. enough marketing input that can also I think cause yeah. cause problems. Yeah, that was, that was, was going to lead me to my next point. Uh, quite often I hear from agencies, their inner pitch process goes really well. It's being led by marketing or comms to a point. And then all of a sudden at the end, in comes procurement and the whole parameters or goalposts shift. And it becomes a race to who, who, who can do most for the least amount of, of cost. I mean, is that quite a common thing that happens, Tina? Or do you think there is a problem or a disconnect there between procurement either not being brought into the process early enough or being given too much power and control over the ultimate outcome? I've never known procurement to have more power than marketing. Obviously, there's been the recent example in the UK of the Audi pitch, where procurement have, you know, and I was, you know, I was really upset about the press, moaning about procurement leading it, and procurement have led it. And there's various circumstances behind it. So I think, again, you know, good procurement will work with their internal stakeholders at the beginning. Because if you look at a sourcing process, it's seven steps, say. The first step actually is make versus buy. You know, mm-hmm. so we're talking about in-house and is it a new thing? Actually, if you take any procurement process, again, be it by electricity or, you know, by marketing services, is make versus buy. And that's where procurement and the stakeholders and it should sit down and say, what's the requirement? What, is it a business opportunity? Is it a business need? Business issue? How are we going to supply that? Make versus buy. So good procurement will be involved at the very beginning. It is disappointing when you hear the agency has won the brief. And by the way, procurement haven't been involved you know, go around the corner and negotiate with them once mm. you've won it. You know, that's it, that's really difficult to do. So I actually say to any agencies I work with, ask if there's procurement involved in the beginning. Mm. And I do think yep. agencies do stick their head in the sand about procurement. I mean, I've been working there for yeah. 28 years. <laughs> you know, and I do yeah. think the Audi pitch, funny enough, whilst there's been a lot of negative press about procurement leading the way, has made agencies realise procurement are serious. You know, I've been doing it for 28 years. It's not going to go away. So I think they do stick their head in the sand. And I always say to agencies, you know, especially when you've got big organisations that are bound to have procurement, Mm. to have the conversation. It might be painful, but get it up front so you know and have a plan to engage with them. Mm. Don't ignore them and don't go bitching about them behind their back because it it will come out in the end. Yeah. I, we've had a really interesting example recently. I'm not going to name the brand, mm. but I think where, um, where actually, and I think this happens more commonly, is part of the issue sometimes is that at certain points of the process, marketing and procurement, or, or you know the comms team and procurement, whatever area you're operating in become sort of divorced from each other. And it's not necessarily that they haven't been involved together at the start, but, but yeah, a very good example recently where you know, a, a big FMCG brand we were working with went through the whole process. The, the marketing director had actually been quite actively quoted in the press uh, saying, you know, even before this pitch process kicked off, saying that 
he felt that agencies should be paid better and that they shouldn't be nailed down to, to you know, not mm. be able to put their best people on the business and all those sorts of things, very actively a spokesperson for paying agencies better. And I, I genuinely believe that he meant it, but they went through this process and then at the point when they decided on which agency they wanted to appoint, he effectively put his hands up and walked away from the process and just mm. allowed procurement to negotiate. Mm. And at that point, the procurement team clearly hadn't been briefed to the level of detail that he yeah. wanted and they clearly had motivations to try to knock the cost down and, and get the best deal. Um, so marketers need to stand up a little bit more in, in, in the process. Yeah, I think, and, and I think they need to stay involved right to the very end, you know, not sort of go, right, I've done the interesting bit, now I'm going to walk away and sort of not get involved <laughs> in the negotiation. They actually need to take responsibility for that start to finish and work yeah. hand in glove with procurement throughout. And they need to help the procurement team out, as, as Charlie says, because, you know, we all look at our supermarket shelves and we often buy the not the the base product right so there's a value exchange here so mm -hmm. even if marketeers say look i'm prepared to pay 10 or 20 percent more because that's the reason they won the pitch so you know i i know i'm buying value rather than buying on price and i think that combination of the talent that's available that's displayed itself in the in in the process what is that client the marketeer saying that's worth because they of all people should know what a value equation looks like so they should help brief the procurement people a little bit more tightly rather than just throwing them to the walls as charlie just said and walk away because i think yeah that's as part of their learning curve and also how they can help build a stronger bond between marketing and procurement on their side. Do you, do you think some of that is, is organisation design and, and a siloed approach from companies? Do you think there is that much of a disconnect between marketing and procurement and other parts of business? I, I think from a, from a category point of view, so we manage by things, you know, marketing you know, do know the marketplace. You know, They do read the trade press, they do go to events. So again, if you're buying electricity, you might not know it so well. So I do think that's mm. what a, a lot of the rub it, not rub, the challenge is, is they do know the marketplace. Mm. They know who the key agencies are they read campaign pr week of course uh, they do. yeah um, you know and <laughs> so I, I i actually think that's some of the rub that actually they know the market sometimes better than the procurement people who there's 17 different categories in my last count of marketing and there might be one or two procurement people buying that mm. so the, the the knowledge and that's why you know they would use people like yeah. you know us around here to get that in-depth knowledge then perhaps skimming the surface a bit much so i think that is where some of that those issues could come out I want to explore this idea about commoditizing PR and, and creative services. Uh, it's one thing to blame procurement, but there's also another argument that if you've got a lot of agencies vying for a, a bit of business and one or two of them are willing to go quite low, is it then not also the agencies that are driving down cost? I'm, I'm interested to see or, or sort of get an idea for where you think this whole idea of commoditizing creative services comes from and, and is it more of an ecosystem thing rather than one specific cog that's the problem? Well, it, it, we're marketing services and, and indeed most product lifestyle, it, there's a cycle. And we're definitely going through a phase of we all know what we're doing and therefore um, the price is going to come down. Uh, automation's come in, technology's come in. Mm -hmm. so, and we're also shifting into newer areas where um, clients have to outsource. So what, what, what have we learned over the last 20 odd years that we know we can do and, and use AI and stuff? So there is a element of the market at the moment which has to be commoditized because it always is right it, it, it goes in cycles so we are definitely going through that phase again in the same way that we've had um you know artwork production houses in the 90s um tag appeared in the 2000s or whatever so there are always moments when someone says give it all to me mm. i can do the volume and i can do it uh, cheaper for everyone rather than every individual have their own little unit so there's a phase of commoditization at the moment but there's always a risk in an oversupply market 
that if the market doesn't stand up, the supply side doesn't stand up and say, no, that is the minimum price, then guess what? Mm. It's going to keep going down. down. Yep. And we have a whole, you know, that, you've got Lidl, you've got Aldi, you've got people yeah. fundamentally, that's a strategy for business growth, right? Mm. So there's no reason why it's exclusive to the marketing services part of the, uh, of, of the you know, of, of commerce. Mm-hmm. So it's going on all over the place because it's competitive, right? As you said, yeah. you know, 20,000, 30,000 agencies, one man and his dog. It's an, you know, vastly, vastly oversupplied marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happens in terms of negotiations. Yeah. And I, I do think it's, agencies definitely have to take responsibility for this as well, in the same way that they have to take responsibility for putting their hand up and saying, no, we're not going to pitch on that business and sort of walking mm-hmm. away and, and taking a tougher stance. But I do think, again, back to the sort of the more, uh, you know, murky ethical elements of kind of long drawn out pitch processes and why they why that really needs to change. I think is, you know, my observation is the bigger and higher stakes the pitch process is and the longer it goes on for actually the strong. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The position procurement find themselves in in terms of leverage because actually it gets to a point where agencies are just in a position where they're like actually there's there's more, we've sunk so much cost into this process there's a bigger you know it's, it's worse to lose it than it is to win it even mm. at a lower price and they end up effectively negotiating under duress and then you know kind of giving it away I, I agree it's still agency's fault <laughs> you know, they need to, to walk away from it but I do think. There is a degree of that that the brands also need to take responsibility for. Is that, you know, and sometimes I think there's a more cynical element of that where it's almost deliberately drawn out to to get agencies into that position. Would, would you agree with that? It's quite cynical in terms of, you know, client side knowing if they draw out the pitch process, it's going to force agencies into a corner where they're going to have to agree to lower lower prices. Mm. I'm not sure. If I, no. <sighs> I'm not sure if I agree. Uh, I mean, TV licensing was a, one I was lucky enough to work on two reviews ago, I think it was, in terms of... And that was a 14-month process, and it had to be a 14-month process. I think they managed to reduce the second one. Well, why did it have to be 14 nine. months? Well, one, one, at, one at 10. Um, well, that was... It was Four. an OG... It was the way the, the, the public, procurement. public procurement was set up, and they told everyone at the beginning how long this was going to be. So mm. they were very... Uh, open about it and explained all the stages that had to go through in terms of due diligence and etc. Cetera, et cetera. And of course, half more than half the market left the room straight away because they said we can't have resource assigned to that. The next time they did it, they managed to get it down to nine months. Mm-hmm. But again, they went round the market first to say to everyone, mm. this is going to take, unfortunately, we can't do it any faster than that. So there are some situations where it is long and drawn out. Um, I mean, in our, in our experience, you've at the moment, you've got also on the flip side of commoditization, you've got a lot of clients doing things for the first time. 
So they're coming back to market to buy things they haven't bought for almost a marketing generation. So mm. a lot of tech stack stuff mm. and all this sort of stuff. So they're replacing a lot of goods, right? And when when you do something of that expense and that importance to the organization, they will take time because they don't know what they don't know and they need more uh, consensus building internally amongst stakeholders and more time to deliberate before they move through the stages. So we are also at a time when some of them are going to get longer just because of the type of thing they're buying, which is they haven't bought it before. It's more or, complex. Or for a long time, mm. yes. More yeah. complex. So you've got a whole yeah. raft of different things. So again, it's very difficult to have... Um, one comment to cover every situation here. Sure. There's more situations yeah. than we've ever it's had. Not, it's not a deliberate tactic. Yeah. No. Would you say that the pitching processes in general, and I don't want to you know, um, say one size fits all, but would you say in general they're getting longer? Do you notice that, that they're sort of being drawn out a bit uh, more or is it as, as long as it's always been? I don't think so. I think they're actually, for me, they're improving. I think, you know, from a procurement point of view, you know, they've listened to the feedback. Obviously, there was the IPA is a good pitch card, which I looked up was 2011. That is that is really useful in terms of the six principles, mm-hmm. pitching alternatives. When I speak to procurement clients I work with, they want to look at different solutions. So actually, I think they've listened and they are looking at how we can do things to fit that specification, that budget within the realms of what they can do in the procurement. So actually, I think they've improved and they're more creative if, if procurement, if we're allowed to be creative, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of to fit to fit the spec. I'm sure a creative industry wouldn't wouldn't disagree with you being creative. Um, in, in terms of an option length of a process is there a range of number of months or weeks or whatever it might be that that you believe is a good length for a pitch process three months is basically the average we say from procurement point of view Mm -hmm. Charlie I just think it one of the things that we've I think established more and more in the last couple of years as we've spent a lot of time looking at you know if we are complaining about the the current state of pitching you know what is a better alternative and what is the future of that and what does it look like i think what we've really uncovered is that there is no one size fits all mm-hmm. um, and i think you know that's that's almost where the danger comes in is you know tony was talking about you know government procurement processes that might take 12 months at the beginning of this process but the danger is when you know when a small startup brand takes the same approach to that when they're spending you know hundreds of the amount of money so i think i think they're i'm I'm really reticent to put a number on it and say this is the right right let me rephrase the question is there is there a good formula that you can use that for a for a pitch process in terms of a size of organization how much budget or complexity well i think i mean we often start with the budget because you go what's the size of the prize so if you are going to put effort in then we would design a process accordingly. And most clients will go, well, if that's the size of the price, then the only way this is going to work is this, because this is how much it costs agencies in 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 time and materials, in a way, um, to, to pitch. And they've, of course, no concept of that. Why would they? Mm. So, again, we have to keep educating everyone to say it's going to cost this amount of money in man hours, equivalent thereof, and therefore they go, okay, fine. And then they're, they're very flexible when you explain it mm. to them. And they understand what compromise, and sometimes it's one meeting, and then they have to choose, and that's it, mm-hmm. yeah. because they haven't got any choice. Yeah, um, I think absolutely. So as Charlie said, I think what's grown, and 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 in Ge- and Tina's point about procurement learning, and of course they will as they as they do more and more of these, is what the range of options are, and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And I think what some of the agencies who were commenting haven't really understood is the filters they need, the questions they need to ask, mm-hmm. in order to say, okay, this is the right option for this type of. Uh, and I'm prepared to do that, or I'm not prepared to do that because they are, they are not conforming with the right option for that amount of 
uh, budget or, yeah. or, or effort and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I, so I agree. That. I just don't yeah. think they do the pre-qualifications yeah. well enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been on a, a, a process, you know, in the middle of one now, and just some of the agencies' reactions, oh, can you put me on, put me on, oh, take me off, take me off, I don't want to go on. Just like, if you ask, you know, mm. ask those questions in the right place and made those decisions based on logical, rational, you would know whether you want to be involved or not. Mm. So I think sometimes, like, yeah, we'll go for it, we'll go for it, and then, like, well, they haven't got half the questions and the answers, and they, and they, and they end up wasting our time as well. Mm-hmm. To your original question, Alvin, though, about, you know, is, is the process getting longer or shorter or better or worse? I, I still personally think, actually, fundamentally, it hasn't changed at all. I, I definitely think uh, when you present options to brands, they start to go, oh, yeah, great. We, if we know there are options, we're perfectly open to considering some of those and having a think about that and how that might make more sense than, than just sort of plowing on with as normal. But I actually just I, I think there is just a bit of a problem that the clients, as, as Tony said, they don't go through this process enough. So when they do come to do it, it's often in a rush and it's often mm. in a, mm. oh, well, just, you know, the quickest mm. way to do it is the way we did it last time. So mm. let's just do what we did yeah. last time and that's how we do it. Yeah. I think there needs to be more visibility on what those options might be available to brands. Okay. Let's, let's move on to options. Um, one of the other major gripes that a lot of agencies talk about um, are really bloated shortlists. You, know, you might have shortlists with upwards of 10. Mm. I think the other week there was one with 16 you know, <laughs> different agencies who were being considered for a, a bit of business and it was just a restaurant in London. Is this a problem? Do, do you sort of see shortlists becoming a, a bigger issue in terms of clients looking at or considering way too many agencies? Well, I mean, that can only be anecdotal because we, 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 won't, we wouldn't allow that to happen anyway. So sure. if we're involved, you know, they're, they're paying for our consultancy and, and, and best practice and, and we would say three to four maximum. That's mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. I, I don't see it actually that much. Mm. You hear, hear rumours yeah. of it, but mm. I, I think, and, and if there is something that leads to that, I think probably the most common thing that leads to that is a lack of enough senior involvement from someone on the brand side at, in that process. You know, and it's, mm. it's more junior level, yeah. you know, just not knowing what to do. etiquette is, yeah. basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're, I, I'm similar situation mm. to Tony. Mm. We don't really get to see it mm. because we, if, it, if we do, mm. we tell people to stop it. Yeah. What yeah, I, I, I've mm. never seen it. I mean, I, th- I suppose it's how agencies define in shortlist. You know, mm. if, so if you've got, you know, if you've got corporate credentials or mm. sort of doing a long list, you know, that could be however long. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that yeah. could be, obviously, that's called a, you know, and then sure. from that you might do your RFP or your RFQ mm-hmm. and then, you know, invitation, you know, do an ITT invitation to tend or RFP, you know, that would be what you would call a shortlist. So mm-hmm. actually you're going to do tissue meetings and do a pitch or tend to presentation. So I'm mm. with Tony. Only three mm. to four. I have never, mm. I have never seen a long list longer than that. So okay. as long as the agencies are understanding what a short list is, and they're not meaning a long list, which should just be call for credentials, really, mm-hmm. or looking at pre- mm. brief or pay or so. Yeah. What about in terms of the frequency of pitching? Are we seeing more regular pitches? Are we seeing a lot more project work versus retainers? Is that contributing to the problem? So I'm going to say something here that I think is going to get me lambasted for the rest of my <laughs> Go for life. It. That's what we like to do. <laughs> um, but I, uh, my observation is that, yes, I think we are seeing more of that in the world of PR. And I think my observation is that I, I don't get the sense that brands generally take the selection of PR agencies as seriously as they take the selection of other sort of strategic top table agencies. Well, and I think that's that, strategic. What do you mean? Media agencies? Well, yeah, agencies, yeah, exactly. Yeah, agencies, agencies, yeah. Digital agencies, but you know, people that they think mm. are, are you know sort of leading their their strategic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think 
you know, which is fascinating to me because I think, you know, we operate in a world right now where, you know, actually the skills of the, the classic PR agency of sort of storytelling and earned media and, mm. you know, influencing corporate reputation and all those things that are absolutely imperative in this day and age, uh, you know, it feels to me like clients should be taking it much, much more seriously. But I think they don't. And, you know, we very commonly hear, oh, you know, we've been through, we've did our due diligence on the creative agency selection or that, but actually we're in a real rush on the PR bit. You know, we're going to do that in the next 10 minutes. And, and I think my, the reality is if you take that approach and if you therefore don't take the selection of those agencies seriously and you, you rush it and you end up with the wrong agencies, inevitably that perpetuates more fre- you know, greater frequency and more mm. of a sort of disposable mentality to agencies. And I, I do think we see a bit more of that in the PR world than we do in other areas. Tony, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, so, I'm working with some PR agencies actually and, and who were getting themselves in the right pickle. And basically it was their their screening criteria just wasn't strong enough. They were literally, if they had a budget and were breathing, they were saying yes to everything and, of course, weren't winning mm. because they were spreading themselves too thin. So, uh, And I was amazed, actually, to Charlie's point, how literally how many they were getting in a week. Now, some of them were emerging businesses rather than established businesses. So, in a way, they, they didn't definitely didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to some extent, again, we're trying their luck, but the, some of the timings that they were putting on it were, were quite ridiculous. And it was literally no more than a phone call and... That was it. And there is an element of PR, which is the come up with an idea for literally next week rather than something more strategic. And I've, but there, there is changing with social media and, and the, the whole earned media area changing. There are complementary pitches where they are being taken more seriously now as well. But I think as we have this disrupted brands and disruptor brands coming, we, you, you've got two sets of activities going on in the marketplace at the same time. Some of the emerging guys, they have no idea how to, and they go, I think I must PR what I do. Actually, they need an advertising agency, not a PR agency anyway. So, I mean, that's another debate altogether. But there has always been that slightly more tactical element to PR that we, mm. certainly we have picked up. And I think that is reaching you know, probably a bit of a crescendo at the moment. But there is a glimmer of hope in that we are also seeing some slightly more strategic, well thought out, well laid out is bringing things together, all the new skill sets and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a big yeah. generalization to, yeah. to say no, it, but I think it is. Um, yeah. I, I do think yeah. it happens more commonly in the world of PR, PR than, than it does yes. in other areas. But do you think it's because PR managers often run the process, that, and it is smaller budgets, yeah. procurement not necessarily involved? You know, the average contract can be what, 100, 150 grand? Yeah, I, I think I, that I, is some of the problems, to be honest. Yeah, potentially, potentially that we need more procurement involvement. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do think definitely there is an element of, oh, it's smaller budget, it's less serious, mm. we'll just kind yeah. of rush through yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we've definitely seen the, the threshold at which someone can go off piste, as it were. Mm-hmm. Come, we've heard that yeah. being mentioned a bit more lately. So what are, what are some of the, sorry, so what, what are some of the common things that you see when they're not taking those processes so seriously? Are they not giving PR agencies enough time or communicating enough? Or what, what are some of the well, bad things? Well, all, all of the all, above. All the stuff we've just discussed. Yeah. So again, the, yeah, long um, list and... So they, it, it, even though they, they might have a self-serve procurement element in mm-hmm. it, which would be a good idea, if they could at least, you know, fine, we get that, you know, resources are tight on everywhere and that, that below that budget level, you go, to just, just, you know, don't involve me, just do it sort mm-hmm. of thing. But what are the best practices that are passed down? And maybe there's a little gap there um, in, in that. I don't know, because they do come out a bit raw. Yeah. Some of the, 
the, the younger marketeers. Yes. Uh, which is fine. But again, you know, you need to recognise that and help educate them. You know, they, they'll all want to learn. Yeah, I think things like there's not a proper brief, there's yeah. a specification mm-hmm. of what there is, yeah. 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 what the commercial terms, where's the contract, what are the payment terms, please speak up. You know, there's some of the hygiene factors, I mm. think, when people go off peace. And, and Tony's right, you know, a, an organisation could say anything under mm. quarter of a million pounds, yeah. sort of go and do it yourself. Because again, actually, there are bigger things from maybe from a strategic yes. point of view that we need to put our resource on. You know, resources stretch. So you would say that £250,000, that, that's a general threshold? for It could be. Uh, it depends on the organisation. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, some could be vary, half a million, yeah. some could be a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So really they're less likely to be involved in, in, a, in a power. I wouldn't guarantee that. <laughs> I mean, you know, not wishful thinking. Should, should no. they be more involved? <laughs> it's hard. You know, you have to take each each project, mm-hmm. each requirement mm-hmm. on its own merit. And, you know, as Tony said, there may be the strategic need where actually it might be a small value, but actually for the organisation, it's important that the right, you know, supplier or partner, you know, is selected. So procurement might be involved. So each, each requirement's different. Okay. But it is a problem because it's a problem for PR agencies because it does perpetuate this yeah. this sense of uh, PR agencies aren't strategic. PR agencies, yeah. we don't pay on a retained basis. We just use them on a project basis. PR agencies are more disposable than our other agencies. And, and you know, actually, I really think that that needs that is a, a sort of situation that the PR industry as a whole needs to find a way to fundamentally change. Okay, let's move on to solutions. Tony, what solutions can you offer or ideas you can offer to help improve the process? Well, I think given that the uh, the pain point is on the agency side, um, that they just need to get better at uh, more robust filters uh, and just call it out. I mean, you know, I've spoken to plenty of agencies who were, it was where it was procurement led, that wasn't necessarily a problem, but with no access to the marketeers and basically that's ultimately my customer. So the, the, the agency simply turned around and said, uh, we're not pitching. The procurement person did come up with a fantastic line of "you have to," um, and they said, "No, we don't. It's our business." So, so that was quite that was quite enlightening. So, um, but yes, I, I, I think get uh, get help with what those criteria should be. So, if you're not sure, then you know talk to Tina, Charlie, me, or whatever. But build up a bank of those questions. That's the fundamental thing. Make sure that's as robust. As, you know, learn by your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Charlie, what ideas do you have or solutions? To change the process, the pitch process. We'll change or, or improve. improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just back to actually one thing I meant to mention at the start as well is on the, the question of is the pitch, does the pitch process need to change? We, we did a survey, and this was now last year, but of 100 brands and 100 agency CEOs. And that covered, it wasn't just PR, but in PR was included within that. Um, and one of the questions we asked was, is the the pitch process fit for purpose in this day and age? Unsurprisingly, probably 93% of agencies said no. So, you know, agencies, as I said, have always wanted to change it. But fascinatingly, 61% of brand respondents to that survey said it's not fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. That's nearly two thirds of brands. And yet our observation is everybody, so that's majority of people saying it's not fit for purpose, <laughs> but we're all just planning on doing the same thing. So, so yeah, we, we feel like there has to be some change. As I said, there's definitely no one size fits all solution. But some of the things that we've been trialing with a number of brands are, and, and it's, you know, it's too long to go into detail. But so, you know, with, with one brand recently, we trialed a process whereby they did a chemistry meeting with agencies. They then one week later ran a sort of half day strategic workshop 
and then they appointed an agency off the back of that, um, agreed a scope of work for six weeks, paid the agency for that six weeks, and then said we'll sit down at the end of that process and we'll decide whether we, we work together moving forward. So I think that, that is something we are trialling a little bit more of and, seem, and the feedback has been really positive. Um, we did another process which was chemistry meetings and then half-day workshop a week later where brand and agency um, spend a half-day together effectively co-authoring the brief and just agreeing what is the challenge here, what are we, and then a, a presentation a week later against that brief. So again, sort of shrinking the time frame quite significantly, but actually within that time frame, trying to encourage both parties to spend more time together yeah. than they would mm -hmm. in a longer process. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a little bit more sort of workshop-based, um, you know, it's actually both parties rolling up their sleeves, getting into to issues together rather than, than brands just expecting agencies to present at them. So that's really where we're coming from. So sort of being more collaborative rather than being prescriptive in the client side. Yeah, exactly. Tia? I think from my point of view, I referred to the Good Pitch, mm -hmm. which was an IPA and ISPA initiative in 2011. It's still really up to date. And I think for all... Where, where can people find this? If you just Google other oh, well, search yeah. engines are available. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, good Pitch Guide, I've just done it. Mm -hmm. And it does come up. And it's got things like um, six principles, you know, things like respect, transparency, braveness. It's got some suggestions for alternative, a bit like sort of Charlie was saying. So I, I think that's, even though it's 2011, it's actually a really yeah. good starting point for agencies. I think agencies need to um, stop wasting energy in bemoaning procurement <laughs> and I think use the effort to educate mm -hmm. because I think they are open to it. I think we've mm -hmm. all said that. Mm -hmm different ways of doing stuff mm -hmm. um, to actually help them understand the process. And also, I think, especially on PR, I agree with Charlie about pushing it up the supply chain, as we would call it. You know, and you are starting to see, as Tony says, some great you know, agencies, creative PR consultancies coming to the forefront, and obviously with digital mm -hmm. in there. And the other thing I'd like to see, I would like to see AI sort of getting involved. And, you know, all the boring stuff, you know, do you really think we like reading company accounts? Well, we do actually, because we, like, <laughs> we like seeing agencies' salaries. But, mm -hmm. you know, you know, things like, you know, the, the hygiene factors, it's really important for us to tick off. A lot of that can be uh, automated. Yeah, I'd love to see that automated. So, in a way, I've called that in the logic box, going back mm -hmm. to Magic and Logic, which is 15 mm -hmm. years old as well. And actually, con procurement and agencies and stakeholders concentrate on the magic part of the process within the realms of the regulatory environment that they, that they work in. Sounds like a great business idea. Final yeah. question, yeah. final question today. Can we ever get rid of the pitching process? Is there a better alternative or is it here to stay? I'll, I'm quickly Tina and then I'll go to Charlie and Tony. I don't, I think the pitching process is here to stay. I think it's being creative and looking at alternatives and being creative within that process to fit the requirements. Fantastic. Charlie? Um, I will say that we are on a lofty mission to one day kill the pitch. Oh, okay. Controversial. Tony? Uh, I, I think it'll be here to stay just because uh, of choice, basically, and that's what people um, like to do. I think the other the other thing is, is whilst we've been talking about pitching all the time, um, clients possibly need to think that they don't need to pitch. So go back one step and go, I think they pitch too easily. Mm -hmm. uh, and we we touched on that. So I think one of the other challenges is working harder at why, why do they actually need to pitch to find an answer to the problem? So again, how do, how do we help them um, not go through an exhaustive process of their own, but actually avoid it happening in the first place. And mm. I think to sort of Charlie's point about too too much going on, especially in PR, is why aren't they making more effort with the P 
people they've already working with mm-hmm. <laughs> or worked with just a minute ago before they pitch it out again. So I think there's also something else in that about how do we work together for longer before we need to pitch. Can I just actually end with one more stat sure. from the survey that I just thought was really interesting? Is So we asked a slightly different question to brands and agencies, but we asked agencies, if the pitch is to fundamentally change, do you believe that you need to refuse to pitch more regularly? 82% of agencies said, yes, we believe we should refuse to pitch more regularly. We asked brands then, um, if agencies refuse to pitch, would you still work with them? To which 67% of brands said yes. So if that's not an invitation to stand up and be yeah. tougher and to change yeah. the pitch, I don't know what is. Right. That sounds like a, a nice call to action for the industry to, to lead this on. I'd like to thank our panel, Tina, Charlie and Tony for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. I'd also like to thank our production partners, Marketeers. Um, you've been listening to The PR Show. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to The PR Show podcast with Arvin Hickman. Brought to you by PR Week. If you like what you heard, please leave us a nice review.